Latare means you're halfway through Lent. Now, remember, um, by the way, I heard that some of you are fasting on Sundays. Remember that, you know, one of the early councils of the church condemned that as an anathema, which means if you're fasting on Sundays, you're going straight to hell. Sorry, should have told you. Uh, no, but it's Latari because you don't count the Sundays. So there's 46 days if you count from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. Of course, there's 46 days, but you never count a Sunday. Every Sunday is a resurrection. Traditionally, you don't pick Sunday as your fasting day. Every Sunday is an Easter. Every Sunday is a Eucharist. You read the Augsburg Confession today where it says, by the way, we have, and so you just have to think about the last, you know, you have to think about the history of the Missouri Synod or the last 300 years of the Lutheran Church. By the way, we have the Eucharist every Sunday, and we have it on all the festivals too. Like, really? And we do it with vestments and all the other things, which would mean like incense and all that. I mean, there it is. That's the Lutheran. So occasionally when somebody will bump and nudge you like, you guys aren't Lutheran. They, well, we're Lutheran like Luther. So, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, we may not be Lutheran like, you know, whatever's going on in America right now. But uh, there it is, man. There's never a Lord's Day when we don't have the Mass. People say that about they're big, big fat liars. That's what we say. Stop lying about us. So Latari means you're halfway through. You know, you can keep going. You can do it. It turns pink. You know, even your card got a little pink. It, the things are, everything's getting better. Uh, relax. You're halfway through. Good job. Keep going. It's a Sabbath. You know, take care of yourself today. All right. Latari, the bread of life. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit. John 12. O God, merciful and everlasting, who did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, that he, the true bread of life, might feed us and refresh us. Grant, we beg you, that we may receive him gladly and be strengthened in every peril and saved to all eternity through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, I don't want to say too much, but thank you for your great kindness. Uh, we've been well-loved over the past you know, couple of weeks. You're very, very kind to us more than we could ever expect. I don't want to get weepy and talk more about that, but I'm very, uh, it was very, I kind of lost my place in the Eucharist in the first, so I, you know, I still feel the effects. Sorry, the bells were late. Uh, you know, I just, Dave Schlossen was like, the bells, the bells. I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. So, you know, that's, uh, I mean, I just, I mean, Pastor Nelson, he was very good, and I was watching him, I'm thinking about stuff, so, you know, but you've been very, very kind, and I appreciate, I appreciate the time and uh, your concern and kindness, and in large measure, things have worked the way they should work over the past 10 days or so in the church, but it's still difficult, as all of you know. So, uh, you know, thanks very much for, for loving us and caring for our families. You've been very, very kind. Um, <laughs> you know, Dr. Just, who, you know, is afraid his passport won't have enough stamps, apparently, <laughs> you know, just says, hey, hey, we're going to Israel. Can you tell your So I know already a couple of you are interested. If you, get, if you missed the first time around or you're lonesome, I mean, here it is. They're going in November. I think it's virtually the same trip. It's a blast. If you haven't gone, go with them. Uh, you can talk to, to me, and I'll relay it, or you can get to them. Just let, just let me know if you're interested, though. There's a couple of people who said. So I printed 10 of them if we need more. Uh, that's great. So if you want to go, go. Um, other than that, you've been uh, surprisingly, interestingly generous in this alms thing. So I heard it was over $1,000 again when I left uh, last week. So this is very interesting. Now, this is a little like that Old Testament story with the oil jar that never runs out. And I can take, you know, 52 times 1,000 in my head. So if you just want to keep going, hey, we'll find some place to spend it, okay? You're not with me here? You're not thinking that's fun? Uh, let's give the money to Grace, uh, Grace School today. So whatever you put in goes to Grace. There's a lot of places that do, do well. Is that okay? Did you say Grace? Oh, yes. And there's pancake. They're, having, they're coming out. You know, this is kind of interesting. They... 
They want to come out and make you breakfast, so that's going to happen on May the 4th. Is it between the services or when yes. is it? In the morning? Like yeah. You know, so, and that's, that's good. Um, you know, we, we just told them, you know, you don't need it. And the, but they're like, you know, they clearly have a theme or they have a strategy and they want to go with it. So, you know, we'll play along. So the folks will be here from Grace on the 4th of May and they'll make breakfast for us. Pancake breakfast. Pancake breakfast, May the 4th. Beautiful, okay. All right, um, you know, this has been, we feel, I feel a little discombobulated given all the things that have sort of happened. So I just sort of wrote you a review. Hopefully this is becoming more simple. As I read this, more and more as I read this stuff and read the passages, you know, this is just the same old stuff. I don't really have anything too new. It's just every year the same stuff from a different angle. However, I will say, one of the great glories of the cards that you wrote me the theological sophistication of what people wrote me on my mother's death was really quite remarkable. It was a backhanded way of saying everything is working. 17 years ago when I came, there's not one of you who could have written a card like the cards that I got. And I got tons of them with you know, very embracing, you know, gentle, insightful things written. I was very, very, that was the happiest thing. It wasn't just the fact that I got them. It was the fact that you have come to a level of, of theological sophistication which, which is beyond just the normal platitude, which is right, but not always. You've heard it a thousand times before. When we teach the vicars to preach, you know, what we want to say, we tell them, um, say one thing and say it in a way that nobody's heard it before. You know, That's always the goal. And in some ways, the cards that came back to me were that way. So that was very, very nice. Um, you know, and you, from your own experience, sort of teaching me to think about things in a different way. That was very, very nice. I realize that that's from the hard work you've put in for many, many years in reading the scriptures and saying your prayers and working with each other. So I, I want to encourage that. But it all boils down to where we started, which is Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. He never does anything without the Holy Spirit. And when he gives you his Holy Spirit, he gives it to you to make you holy. And making you holy is not just a matter of saving you. And that's, that's the great thing. You know, for so many people, this is just, you know, their hope is that they just don't go to hell. Well, for goodness sakes, you know, that's not the Christian life. I mean, the Christian life, Jesus today, I mean, I don't think he said anything about hell in that whole text, and yet he gospeled everybody he could see, especially the blind guy. This is a remarkable kind of stuff. So, so you know, Jesus touches us with the Holy Spirit to make us holy. He touches us through things, through his voice, through the Eucharist, um, through, uh, you know, through your baptism. It's very interesting. People would come to see my mother. They said one of two things. They said... Uh, you should hold on, you believe really well, you've had a really good life, you, 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 which was not comforting at all. And then occasionally people will come in and say, well, Jesus baptized you, so everything's going to be okay. I mean, the difference between those two things, well, it doesn't seem like very much now, really is night and day. So that Jesus does things to you. Jesus gives you a spirit. Jesus baptizes you. Jesus gives you his body and blood. This isn't complicated stuff. This is just basic small catechism stuff. But that you've absorbed that, you know, and that you know that really makes your life different. You know, yeah, sure, Jesus, you're not going to hell, okay? Exhale. But beyond that, I mean, Jesus has a lot, a lot of work for all of you to do, a lot of work for me to do, too. Um, we don't always see it. It takes a long time sometimes. There are bumps in the roads, and we draw a tack. And we've experienced all of that together over many, many years. However, the bottom line is this is not difficult. Jesus wants to make you holy. Jesus does that by touching you with his Holy Spirit. So, I mean, think of it this way. There's the Father and the Son in heaven. The Father sits, the Son is at his right hand and prays for you all day long, and they send the Holy Spirit to touch you 
touch you with words, to touch you with baptism, to touch you with the Eucharist, to touch you with love. They touch you, you know. You're either touched or you're not. You don't have to wiggle all around about how strong or weak your faith is. Forget about that for a second. Talk about what Jesus did to you. Jesus touches you. Because he touches you, he saves you. But even in the story today, he doesn't just heal the guy. He sends that guy on his way to be the church. You know? And that guy, that guy is startlingly good. That's a very clever blind guy. And he is, he, he like, I mean, he is backing and forthing with the guys, and everybody's selling him out, and he's just like, ooh, here we go. That's you, okay? And that's what the maturity of constantly you know, observing what God has done to you. Now, you know, I think to myself, how the heck can I teach a Bible study the whole year on, you know, four verses from Isaiah? Well, the answer is that the language is very rich, and it's not just words, it's actually life. And so when Jesus talks to you, even when he talks to you about Isaiah, even when he talks to you about the gifts, the gifts are, you know, it's like walking into a Costco. Every, with every, I mean, there's stuff everywhere. Right? And it takes a lot of time to figure out all the stuff that's going on. And that's what you're meant to do. But we're coming to a really interesting gift today, the gift of discernment or the gift of counsel, which later in here I've described to you as a combination of Splunk and the Google driverless car. Have you seen both of those? You know what Splunk is? Splunk is one of the big databases where it's like how the NSA gets from all the phone calls they've tapped, which includes all of yours, down to where somebody is saying, bomb, bomb. That's what Splunk does. It sorts data, okay? It's a sieve, but it sorts a tremendous amount of data for a couple of little things. It's what, you know, your computer people in the congregation do in the middle of the night when you think they're sleeping. <laughs> you know, the Google driverless car, you've seen the driverless car, right? Right? So there's a system. There's power. We've talked about this as might, right? There's power. But, you know, if you just, like put a brick on the accelerator and sit on the hood, you know, even in Nebraska, eventually the road is going to turn, right? <laughs> so, so the thing is, you can't just unleash power. You can't just unleash knowledge. You, there's nothing worse than somebody in, the, you know, somebody in the church who knows a lot of stuff and has no discernment. And that's the gift we're going to talk about today. Discernment is, and it's come to the fore because Pope Francis is a Jesuit. And the Jesuits, one of the primary things they talk about is discernment. It just happens to be popular right now because um, he said a couple of times, I mean, he's throwing everybody for a loop. You know, this morning I'm making toast, and there I turn on the television, there's the Pope at confession. Have you seen it? it was, so he was, walking to, he was walking to hear confession, and he takes a right turn, and he, like, kneels down in front of this priest. Now, of course, what I'm thinking to myself, everybody else is amazed the Pope goes to confession. Everybody knows he goes to confession. The interesting thing is, I wonder if the priest knew he was coming. Because if you're just like this, if you're just the guy there, and suddenly Papa kneels down in front of you, you're like, this should be interesting. But they, uh, you know, they, they showed it, and they, they must clearly cut away because they only show about, you know, they don't show him actually, they don't give him time to say anything. But the, the priest is very composed, like, I do this all day long. So either they told him, or he does it all day long, which would be the more fun answer. It was like, yeah, okay, I heard the Pope's confession this morning. Sorry, I can't talk to you about it. Um, you know, so that was, it's just, it's just very interesting. Anyway, this notion of uh, discernment, a couple of times the Pope has said things like, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. We're going to have to think about that. Well, that throws everybody for a loop, you know, because you're the Pope. You're supposed to know things, you know. Well, he comes from a tradition 
that values the thing that we're going to talk about today, which is counsel, or what we might know as discernment. It typically happens in a couple of places. Um, one is in private confession, where even in our book, there's a little place where the pastor, it says, now the pastor can offer any counsel that might be appropriate to the day or to the sin. The other place is what's become very popular in America in the past 10 years or so, which is called having a spiritual uh, director. And basically, a spiritual director is not necessarily a pastor. It's somebody who has the gift of discernment, somebody who can take all the data and sift it and then put it into action. Okay? So now what you're starting to see is that these, these gifts that the Lord gives us are now starting to fit together. Okay? So you have this very happy gift. We started with humility. And humility, here's the problem. And just I'm gonna just I'm gonna go aside here. I know you always think I'm just going aside, but here's the deal. I was thinking about this. I could write you all my whole outline on one page, and then you'd then you'd say, Oh, that was brilliant. He followed the outline. Well, here's the thing. I write this down so you can take it away and look at it later, but I also have more to say, as Jesus says. I have I have many things yet to say to you. So uh, you know. Uh, it, it's 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 not yeah it's not always gonna it's not always gonna go straight down the outline the outline is just the bare minimum. If anything does us in in this congregation in the next decade, it's gonna be pride. Okay, I can I can smell it occasionally on the edges. I see it well up from time to time. Discovered in myself. I, I here here's the thing. And pride is insidious. If anything does us in, I'm just saying this to you because I just. I want you to be very careful. And the reason I want you to be very careful is because right now you're very good. Okay? Everything is working. Everything we touch, you know, we say we're going to have kids in. Forty kids show up to sing in Latin on a Wednesday afternoon. You know, we say we're going to have dinner at, at, you know, on Wednesdays. So many people turn out to dinner, we have to move into a bigger room. I mean, everything is working. Okay? There's two things you can do and everything is working. You can say, aren't I a good boy? I can make everything work. Or you can rejoice. Exactly. Which is, results in humility. Praising God is the memory of what God has done for you. And then you realize you're not self-sufficient. And that makes you very thankful. And then when you're thankful, you're humble. Okay? So it's the memory of what God has done for you, which expresses itself in different ways. The scripture talks about it as memory. So God will say to the Israelites when they take a wrong turn, hey, all this stuff I've done for you. Or when the, the positive side is when people themselves remember and say, we praise you, O God, we acknowledge you to be the Lord, the Te Deum, right? We sing that. The thing that will do us in, and pride will express itself in this place, as you all just thinking that you're pretty smart and you can do it a little better than the person who's doing it right now. So all I'm going to say to you right now is just... Um, Watch your sharp elbows, okay, going forward. Because I know you're all good, and I know you're all smart, and I know that you could all get it done. I actually know that about you. But part of living in a community together is knowing when somebody else is doing it, they're not going to do it exactly the way you would do it, and you need to just give them just a little bit of slack. On the other hand, if you're doing it, you have a responsibility to look around and do it the way everybody else. In some sense, you need to provide some consolation to other people. So if you're doing things, you can't do them just the way you want to do them. And if you're not doing things, you can't be critical of people because they're not just the way you want them. Does that make sense? And if, if, you, if, if we go down, it's going to be because of pride. It's going to be because we didn't handle our blessing well. So what's going to be really important for us in the next five, ten years, when everything is working, is for us to manage blessing, to 
manage success. And what we're doing here is the archetypical way of managing success, which is to say, Jesus has blessed us with his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit has blessed us with a lot of gifts. The gifts have been really well used now, but you are a dead man the day that you think you did it yourself. That's the sin of pride. It is Eden, it is Israel, it is Judas. The sin of pride is the pride of thinking that somehow you're self-sufficient. So I just, I just want to urge you, and you see, this is the reason you need to read your Bible, say your prayers, come to church, kneel at the Eucharist, kneel for confession. Because even the simple fact of kneeling reminds you that you're not self-sufficient, that you are, as I said to you a hundred times before, nothing but given to, that you live only by the gifts. So I just, you know, you may think, you know, I, I was just kind of thinking about this this week when I'm like, gosh, it's been up and down and I've missed some weeks and we had some days off and what are we doing and how do you remember this stuff? Here's the thing. Remember this stuff because you're going to need it going forward. It's not just enough to know things. It's just not enough to have just the gift of knowledge. You know, it, it's, you need the gift of discernment and we're still, we haven't done the gift of wisdom yet. So we're still, you know, we still have, we still have more to go. So I just, I'm just sort of shooting up a flag for you. Um, don't sort of just kind of blow these off as if, you know, you're going to need these as tools. If you think of them, you know, they're tools to work in the garden of St. John. They are, they are virtues. They are energies. And some people, unlike faith, hope, and love, faith, hope, and love, everybody gets that more and less as the Holy Spirit gives it. But not everybody gets every other gift. So in some sense, you know, what you're looking for is people who have the gift of discernment. There's a lot of people who know a lot of stuff and they can't find their way home. You have a lot of knowledge, but they really need a Google driverless car. They really need that, okay? You know, there's a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge. But have, so the key trick in running a church is you've got to find your people who have knowledge. They need to be humble enough to turn the data over to people who have discernment, right? Typically, we see that in leaders or elders, hopefully in pastors too. And... At the same time, while everybody is happy about that, being humble because we know that we're not self-sufficient because everything we have comes from Christ. So I, I, mean, I think I just did the first two or three pages for memory, but that's where I'm trying to go. And the gift here is this gift is terribly, terribly important. You can't run, you can't run a community. You can't have a tribe of Israel. You can't have a people of Israel. You can't have a church without this sort of discernment because what will happen is you'll take extremely good gifts and you'll misuse them. So this is, a, this is a terribly important thing that we're doing next. It's the ability to use a good gift in the best possible way. That's where we're going. And it's also then the reality of saying, hey, somebody else is better at this than I am, so I'm not just going to stay home. I'm going to actually take a step back. You know, Some people lead from the front. Other people need to push from the rear. This is my turn to push. I don't know how to do this. And, and so it's, it, it's the humble acknowledgement of other people who have gifts where you come all the way to the point where you, like the, you know, ninth and 10th commandments, are happy for the good gifts that other people have that you don't have. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, manservant, maidservant, house, fields, cow. And it, you, know, you shouldn't be, you can't, you can't it's a sin to, to covet what the gifts that other people have been given. Those are the gifts that Jesus has given them. The, the, the holy thing to do is to rejoice in those gifts. So this is... You know, there's a reason I named this the most practical thing. This is how the church lives. It's a different angle. You've heard this another way from a, in a different way. But it all comes back to the same thing. Jesus gives gifts through his Holy Spirit. He gives them to you. 
and you all need to manage them. Churches notoriously manage their gifts poorly. Cash money is the greatest example. And because they manage money poorly, then they can't manage anything else because they're always talking about money. It's the stupidest thing. I think I told you once I had a call, and they said, I said, you know, this is where I, back when I thought about things more. I said, you know, send me the minutes from, I said, send me, it was a stupid request now that I look, because I could have guessed. I said, send me the minutes from the last five years of, you know, your board meetings. I want to see, you know, what kind of shape the church is in. Literally, the stack was this big, and this much of the stack was all about how do we pay the bills. They never talked about anything except how to pay the bills, because they never learned about money, which is the reason we're doing money again this Lent, even when we're not in crisis. Because if you don't tend it every once in a while, it dominates everything else. Of course, that can be true for pride. You know, that can be true for a range of things. If you don't tend these things always and realize you're always in this battle, you're always tamping them down, you're always confessing them, you're always going to the Eucharist to have them forgiven, you're always going out and saying, okay, Jesus told me who I am and he told me where to go and that's what I'm going to do. Unless you're actively doing that, it's not about just going to hell. It's about having a life embodied, an embodied life of Christ in the church. That's what we're trying to do. So Jesus gives us the gift to do that, and then, of course, we find ways to sin against that, even in these huge ways that just wound people so deeply that you can hardly stand it, what we typically call the mortal sins, or just in the little ways that we sort of chip away at ourselves and each other. We tell little lies, you know. We're a little bit catty. We're not very complimentary. It could even be passive. We don't rejoice when somebody does a really good thing. Like the music this morning was brilliant. You know, it was really nice. It wasn't, it wasn't in, you know, it wasn't like a Palm Sunday day or anything like that, but it was just, it was just, it was well played and well sung, and you sang well, and it was nice. We should say on those days, we need to say, you know, that was, that was a really, really good thing. If you don't do that, you will, by nature, fall into the other thing, right? We are by nature sinful and clean. Original sin is always pulling at us. So what we need to do is actively engage, and that, you see, is the point of a disciplined life. And especially in Lent, when we up the game by maybe fasting, right? But it's always Christ scripture and prayer and the divine service and mercy and then money, you know, alms and tithes and witness. It's always, always those things. And if you don't do those things, you actually get the other. There is no neutral ground in your life. You know, you're either going up or you're going down. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just sort of putting it out there. And I, and I just want you, I want you to beware because it's so good. I mean, things are so good. And they've worked well for a very, very long time. You know, but it's so good. But please nurture that. And you should be saying, praise God for the good that we've been given. And then also, and I'll be careful. And one of the ways I'll be careful is to be actively kind and loving to the people who are around me. And these are the way I can do it. And some of you are better at it than others. That's okay. But rejoice in the gifts you've got and rejoice in the other people's gifts. And you won't even know what to rejoice in if you don't study them. Okay? So that's been the rationale the whole year. We still okay? Okay? So I just, yes, please. We were down in Arkansas at the nursing home last weekend visiting Dr. Tom, and she was a young orderly that had come in to take her vitals and popcorn and change bed and everything else. And I thanked her. Thanks for taking good care of her. You know, that's really kind of you. And this kid who, I would guess he was probably 20, she said it really does good for the psyche to make yourself subservient to another person. It does, actually, yeah. It reminds you a lot of, there's a lot of things you learn from that, right? Being a servant and not a master. Yeah, so, you know, it's just, that's just a friendly kind of heads up and rationale for what we're doing. So, I mean, here's the thing. It's great, 
it couldn't be greater. And my last week with you is witness it couldn't be greater. But, you know, um, you know, you remember the story, as I've often told you, about the man who loved his wife so much he almost told her. So, you know, uh, go ahead and extend yourselves a little bit, okay? Uh, it's, okay if you, if it's okay if you say something nice to other people, okay? Just keep an eye on it. All right, good? So I'm still at point number one. Okay, here we go. So this is really simple, you know. It's very practical, and I'm just sort of running you what you already knew. I just tried to organize where we've been. God gives gifts to the spiritual ones. That's to us. Everybody gets faith, hope, and love. Beyond that, he scatters these other gifts, as the scriptures say, in measure given by the Holy Spirit around. And part of your thing is to, to recognize your own gifts. Sometimes other people have to tell you, you're really good at that. Or I think you'd be really good here. Right? Sometimes we encourage people into those gifts. Sometimes people try something and they're not very good. There's no shame in saying, Pooh, I'm just not very good at that, you know. It's why people switch in mid-career. It's the same in the church. You know, you might think you want to visit people, and then, you know, Kirby had a roommate once in college who wanted to be a nurse, and her dad was a doctor, and she bought the nurse's hat and enrolled in nurse's training, and then the first day she went to the hospital, she came home and said, hey, you know what, I don't really like sick people. <laughs> now, that's a, great, that's a great bit of self-knowledge, so you should probably try something else, okay? Which is great. I mean, it's great that you learned that the first day. Your gifts are sort of like that, too, okay? So I'm right at the bottom of the first page. So chiefly, the simplest way to think about this is that the Holy Spirit gives us a new mind. And the Bible talks in all different ways because they're not quite as precise. But basically, you can think or you can know or you can see. Those things kind of go with your brain, with your mind, okay? And then with your heart, we feel and we choose. So, you know, you see chocolate pudding and then you choose it or don't choose it depending on whether you gave up chocolate pudding for Lent. That's the combination of your head, seeing, knowing. I know it's chocolate pudding. I see it, and it looks really, really good. And then your heart says, uh, but uh, you told the little baby Jesus, no chocolate pudding for Lent. And then you have the choice, you see. All right? So that's the difference between your, you know, your head and your heart. All right, I'm flipping the page. Now, I was struck by this. It is the gospel for today. I was struck by this, how often we talk about this. And sometimes, you know, people get nervous about these categories as if they came from Plato or someplace else. But these great categories of what is good and right and true. You know, I can give you some other ones, like what is beautiful, right, and what is consoling. But look at this. Here's the epistle actually turned out to be for today. Once you were in darkness, right, you were just lost. The blind man. You're just lost. You're just, you know. But now, and this is very interesting, you are the light in the Lord. You are light. You are light. So Jesus in the gospel for today says, I'm the light of the world. And then, you know, 20 years later, um, St. Paul writes, you are light. How does that happen? I thought Jesus was light. He doesn't say, you know, he says, you actually are light. Now, how does that happen? Well, because you bear the wounds of Christ in your body. Jesus is inside you. He shines out through you. And so this all boils down, frankly, to being who you are. This is who you are in your baptism. This is who you are in your Eucharist. It's bigger than who you were when you were born with original sin. It's bigger than that. And every day, and we talked about this early, you cooperate with the Holy Spirit to choose what is, and you can say it out loud, good and right and true, you know. So I'm going to tell you a story. Joe Brockman played his cello last night, and uh, it was very nice. I mean, the kid's a little genius for 10 years old, plus the cello is a great little instrument. You know, he plays, yeah. And I said to him after the service, 
Jesus is really pleased with you. You know, and he looks at me kind of puzzled, and I said, and you should be pleased with yourself. Now, that's a very important thing to say to people who serve in the church, especially kids. It's especially to your spouse or to your own kids. Jesus is very pleased with you. You have to think this way, because it's true. When you do something holy, when you are generous, when you give alms, when you pray for someone else, <coughs> Jesus is very pleased for you. You know, and here's the other thing, you know, the opposite danger from pride is false modesty. You can never enjoy anything. You know, you have you seen Babette's Feast? Everybody see Babette's Feast? That'd be your assignment for today. Go watch Babette's Feast. Um, these the two main characters, two women, are named for Luther and Melanchthon. And there are what I've learned to come from Scandinavians have told me, they're not happy Danes. They're sad Danes. Okay, um, and, and so, so what happens? You know, they. It's just, I think it's when I was at Valpo, I gave Babbitt, Babbitt's Feast was the final exam in my to write a movie review of Babbitt's Feast was the final exam in my theology class because to me it's all about the Eucharist. This mysterious man shows up. He enjoys everything, especially a meal. There's this mysterious woman who cooks, and they they have a joy that is almost otherworldly amidst this cold and dark place where people refuse to be pleased by anything because they think it will offend Jesus. That Jesus is not in the scriptures. He's not there. That is not Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, you can't fast while the bridegroom is here and you need to pay taxes? Fish. There'll be a coin in his mouth when he pops up. And I say, hey, this will be fun when I walk on the water. I wonder what they'll say when they wake up. I mean, Jesus is having a blast. And when people follow along, he's very, very pleased. So it's important to say even to kids, like when they play, God is very pleased with you, and because of that, you should be pleased with yourself. That's not prideful. That's the fact of the matter. It's prideful if you say, I'm really good, and I'm better than anybody else, and people are lucky that I played here, and I, 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 build my barn so big that someday I don't know what I'm going to do. That's prideful. The other side is the opposite is false modesty, when you can't be happy about anything or happy for other people. In the middle is Jesus, who is mostly happy and is only cranky when somebody really, really offends his sensibilities, usually by, I don't know, defiling the temple so that nobody can worship there. Or when people say that he has a demon. You know, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, you cast demons out. That does sort of get him over the edge. But most days, Jesus is pretty happy, even with people who are really rotten, like you and me, right? So, I mean, that's what we're trying to live in. If you hold to that, and you can, we, you know, whether you know it or not, we've covered, we've covered about four years of seminary since 10 o'clock. <laughs> because this is, this is the notion, this is the notion that you're nothing but given to, and that forgiveness is the beginning, not the end, and that you can be happy in that. You know? How, how we got to churches that are grim and grumpy is just beyond me. I just can't, you know... Uh, so, anyway, I mean, here it all is, right? So cling to the things, be happy with things, live in the things that are good and right and true. And sometimes just being good and right and true is enough. It's just enough. It's just enough to do the right thing, right? Um, toward that, the Holy Spirit tells us to flee the big sins, you know, flee temptation. It's all over Scripture. Because you get ruined. You can get ruined with one great big sin, you can get ruined with the same small sin done 10,000 times a day. You know, at the end of the day, that's going to undo you. Now, 
Jesus gives faith, hope, and love to every Christian. So that's within the ken of every Christian. But then he also distributes all these other things that the scripture talks about. And the ones we've been doing are these. You know, they'll come forth from the shoot. I'm sorry. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So Jesse, you know, David, the new David, Jesus. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. And now all the fruits of the spirit thing should be going off. And here's a list you might like. The Spirit of God shall rest on him like he rests on you at your baptism. Don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Spirit shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear and delight in that fear of the Lord. So we've been kind of working the list backwards. You delight in the humility, fear of the Lord. I'm nothing but given to and I'm pleased. God is pleased with me. I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with myself. I don't have to live grimly, right? Um, knowledge and might, and we kind of work back to counsel. And when we live this way then, you see, and this is kind of the next thing we need to do um, in addition to watching out for prideful things. Look, a lot of churches are like grocery stores that don't have anything on the shelves. And they, they are like churches, there are a, lot of, there are a lot of churches are like grocery stores that have nothing on the shelf. And they they get people in the door and they say, you know, if you will just contribute a little bit, if you'll just do a little of that, if you'll just trust us, hey, we'll get some groceries and that'll be okay. So if we can have the money up front, then we'll, you know. Very, very few people join that club, okay? Instead, and this has been the goal here, we, you know, I've talked about this forever, what you want to do is have a community that does things well without being prissy that strives for excellence without being prideful, that makes use of everybody in their proper way, and most and most and most of all, the people are kind and embody love. If you do that, honest to God, people will crawl over broken glass to get to your place. In some sense, we're pretty well there. The trick is going to be, the trick is going to be now, if you can hold that at the same time that you begin to say to people, and it's happening more and more, you can just tell by the visitor flow coming in, hey, I love my church and it's really good. What will happen is, one thing is that people will come. The great danger is, though, the, the parable where Jesus says, you know, when you sow, here's kind of what happens. Some of it doesn't grow. Some of it grows a little while, but gets, you know, but then some of it gives, you know, 30, 60, and 100 fold. So we're kind of at the, we're kind of right at the point where the shelves are full, and you all, as a witness, primarily by your kindness, but also with your words, begin to draw people in. And then we need to nurture people so that people stick, so that they don't you know, spring up and then go away. That's a, very, that's a difficulty with the catechumenate. We had a huge catechumenate again this year. You know, but if we look back, there's people from last year. We had a huge catechumenate last year and the year before who didn't all stick. Sometimes I've talked to them. Sometimes they're like, yeah, swing by, I don't know, we got out of the habit, da 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 We have to find some way. That's kind of the next project for us when, you know, kind of the next pastor comes and stuff is to, to, to try to figure out how to make it a little more sticky and hold on to those people. But if you lose what you have now, then that'll all be for naught. So all the work, you know, you have to be like a store the shelves are full and attractive, and then you have to hold that, you know. You have to hold that, and then there's always the next thing. So kind of what I'm urging you today is, is working on holding that at the same time you do the next thing. So we have a different set of challenges than we had maybe five years ago or ten years ago. And it all has to do with 
living within the gifts that Jesus has given us. It's, it gets a little more taxing. It gets a little more taxing. But if everybody can do it and make it kind of, it's like everything else. If you make it as kind of your normal part of life, then you sort of forget about it, okay? So Jesus arranges his gifts. This is how he re- arranges them so that you can live as his body. And um, when we do that well, we become his witnesses, okay? I'm turning the page. Now, I've already talked to you about this. So far, what we've done is this kind of delightful humility. I've urged you toward an embodied good, what older folks might call a generation or two ago would call piety, um, which can be a good word, but we sort of talk about it as living an embodied love or living in obedience, which is a word that I've tried to recover for you as a good word, not a bad word, right? What you get to do, not what you've got to do. And then knowing, that's the data dump, But I said often and often, even though we data dump here, the data dump, again, is the first step. I mean, you've got to know some basic stuff because Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. And if you don't know whether it's north, south, east, or west, you know how to get to Jerusalem. But even knowing where Jerusalem is, you still need to sift and sort and move. You've been given the strength now to move. That energy is in you. The Holy Spirit animates you. And so it really does come down to, you know, a question of discernment and then a question of will. So we have to work with those now. Now, point number two. The next gift, etzah in Hebrew, is that of counsel or advice or strategy. So now you know all you master planners, this is your day. You know, you people who like to sift things. You remember that the word discerno, discern in the scriptures is the word for you can tell the difference between this and that if you have two things. So this is in 1 Corinthians 11, where it says, you know, don't come to the supper if you can't tell the difference between a regular supper and the Lord's Supper, between bread and bread body, as Luther would say. If you can't tell the difference between those, you can't come to the supper. You need to discernal that. You need to, if there's lots of things, then it's like sifting, like in a sieve on the farm. So as, 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 as the scriptures say, sift the spirits. You know, not every spirit that blows along is, is, is of the Lord. And sometimes angels of darkness are, discovered as, are disguised as angels of light, right? So you need to tell the difference between a couple of things. And you need to be able, when you've got a lot of data going, you've got a lot of things going, you need to run that through a sieve, and you need to be able to find the things that really, really, really matter. And then beyond that, the next gifts will help you grip those and use those and move those so that you grow in the, in the image of Christ. Okay, so number three, the gift of counsel answers a very simple question. Okay, now what? So you've been to the Eucharist, now what? Right? You heard the gospel, now what? You got your sins forgiven, now what? You know? You have jobs, you're smart, you make money, you have kids, now what? Now what? That's what discernment answers, okay? And the church has always been asking this question. Look, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth is going to explode. And everything is going to be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? There it is. Holiness and godliness. Holiness and piety. Holiness and godliness. What sort of person? You've been given holiness. You've been given godliness. What sort of person ought you to be? That's why we talk about money. 
That's why we talk about Bible study. That's why the catechumenate goes so long. Because the catechumenate, the Christian life, is not Jesus loves me, this I know. That's the first note of the song. That's not the song. You know, the song just keeps going. And the coolest thing that could ever happen is that you could live in a church for a good portion of your life that's run on all cylinders, where everybody's gifts are being used and people overlook other people's sharp elbows and, other, and, and people don't sharp elbow each other on the way. You need both things. You've got you to overlook that foul with 2.6 seconds left of the, you know, the one and the two are playing. Unless you're a Wisconsin fan, then you call it. <laughs> All right? You shouldn't give a sharp elbow. You shouldn't notice a sharp elbow. It's both things, okay? All right. You, we're sorting you, you Wisconsin fans. We'll sort you. We'll sort you out, okay? I, I'm happy with I know I'm happy with this. I had Wisconsin. Go. I got my cheese hat on. You just can't see me. I got, I got a big triangular cheese hat on right now. I'm lying to you. I'm going to the Eucharist, so I'm just going to hold that sin for another. Waiting for, and I don't know if you ever thought about this, waiting for, but also hastening. And so the rabbis used to say, if everybody, if all of Israel prayed at once, the world would come to an end. It's an interesting thought. If all, if all, if all of Israel prayed at once, if every Jew prayed at the same time, the world would come to an end. If every Christian prayed at once, the world would come to an end. It's an interesting idea. That you're not just waiting for the end day, you're actually hastening the coming day of the Lord because someday it'll happen, right? Flip your page. But according to his promise, the promise of the Spirit that was given, we're waiting for new heavens and new earth. Therefore, right? And now here you go. What do we do? Since you're waiting for these, be diligent. So the Christian life is not sitting on your hands, no matter what anybody ever told you. It's not about, I'm justified by grace and I didn't do anything, therefore I sit around and wait around to die. No, no, it's be diligent so that you're found when he finds you. He says to you, the ten talents, well done, good and faithful servant, without a spot or a blemish and at peace. So that's the rubric. You're forgiven. Now you need to be really active and Every work has to be forgiven, right? So that when you come, you're living within this forgiveness and you've figured out a way how to live within forgiveness with peace. This takes a tremendous amount of discernment. It, it, takes, it takes the wisdom of people who are mature in the faith. It takes reading the scriptures and digesting them. It takes the action of figuring out what we're going to do. It takes forgiving yourself and your group, your community, when you go wrong. And it takes rejoicing when it goes right. Only then can you live in peace right? Only mercy and that kind of kindness brings peace. It's the only way. When you can say, God is pleased with me and I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with myself and you're pleased with me as well. That's the result of being forgiven, living in forgiveness, and then the, you know, but not living in pride. It's a, it's a, and that's the line you have to walk. So anyway, okay, now what is where we're going? Um, come back next week. We'll go again, okay? Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. 
Amen.